Take a deep breath, take the higher road That's what they always say, as if they know the way They won't take it from me But don't ever doubt yourself, it's life ain't just a dream You make your own, so kick and scream The people will like with a never-ending force You never had the chance, so what you waiting for? The day has come, my friend, cause this is war In the last several years, since all of this truth has been uncovered, more of us, more and more of us have become aware that sex trafficking is a bigger industry than we ever thought was possible. You know, I know I grew up in the days of children uh, missing and being put on milk cartons and document or 2020 specials, if you will, highlighting some of the children. But I didn't know that millions of kids go missing every year. And I recently attended an event where there was a guest speaker. Her name is Sherry Lopez, author of Pearl at the Mailbox. And she presented her story of sex trafficking in the 80s, when she was 15 years old by her high school boyfriend's father. And I was just shocked. I, I thought, oh my gosh, this is a concept that I never even thought. I thought so many girls and boys, you know, they're misplaced from their homes or they run away and then they're picked up on the street, you know, leaving, fleeing abusive situations, finding themselves addicted to drugs. And then in order to survive, they sell their body type thing. And while that happens, I, I really wanted to shed light on Sherry's story. And um, I'm going to welcome you on with that, Sherry. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having the courage to write this book. Um, I really appreciate your heart and sharing it. And yeah, thank you for being here. You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, God told me to write this book and that's just the fact about it. I resisted for many years because nobody wants to hear about human trafficking. They want to think that it happens in other countries and it never happens here in America, but that's not true. Human trafficking has been happening in America for ever. And um, it's been hidden for a really long time, but it's not that way anymore. Um, yeah. Human trafficking is a multi-billion dollar business. Many of the trafficking rings are run by the cartels now because they know that they can sell a child over and over and over again and make a profit. Whereas with drugs, it's one and done. Mm -hmm. So I felt that it was very important for me to share how I was groomed because that's where we have a chance to save our children right now. Yes, absolutely. As soon as I left you and I went to pick up my son who was uh, training for basketball with his trainer, I, I said, you have to read this book. We, ha we have to discuss it. We, we have to understand what happens in these types of situations. And then my other thought is, I thought, oh my gosh, the, the situations that I put myself in 
at 13, 14, 15 years old, I, I was, you know, running around with the Hell's Angels thinking I was cool with my leather jacket on the back of a bike, you know, being around people that are much older than me. Uh, just so many situations that I felt like the Lord really saved me from for me to be able to use as a testimony. And what you just what you said in the beginning was God told you to write this book. And I think that is something else that I'd like to touch on for a minute, because that's the only reason why I wrote my book, you know, mm -hmm. and after as I was writing it and where I'm at right now, I feel that I am being used as a testimony and a witness to the glory of God. And, you know, and through that speaking truth. So, so talk to us a little bit about that real quick, because I don't want to forget that. Oh, my goodness. If it wasn't for the grace of God, I would not be here many at all. I can look back over my trafficking journey and I can see how many times God was with me. The number of times I have had guns pointed to my head, um, given drugs that I never knew what it was, um, and the fact that I never got pregnant and I never got a sexually transmitted disease is a miracle. And um, it was Pearl who rescued me at a mailbox. That's the name of my nonprofit and my book. She was no doubt 100% sent by God to be there as kind of a nosy neighbor in the last apartment complex that I was held at. And she paid attention. God put her there. And eventually I trusted her enough that I walked away with her. Right. And it, it, you know, I am now God's servant and I do what he tells me to do. I did fight Amen. him on the book because I didn't really want to, I don't call it dirty laundry, but you know, it's hard to share sometimes things that happen to people. It's easier for us to present our good front, you know, yeah. than the trauma and, and bad stuff that we've experienced, but I needed to, I needed to, and it's being received very well because I needed to share how I was groomed, not so much the trafficking part, but again, and I'll say this again and again and again, now that's where we have the chance to save our children because once they become trafficked with the sophisticated trafficking rings now, it's almost impossible to get them out. Yeah. Well, let's, let's start there then. Um, we, we have about 20 minutes or so on this first half. So, um, you know, I'm just going to let you let you share your story. Okay, sure. So when I turned 15, I was obviously going to start high school. Um, I lived on the dividing line of high schools. So all of the friends that I had in my middle school or junior high were going to a different school. So I was starting a very large high school by myself with no friends. Um, and that was not good for me. I needed my structure of friends. And so that was one thing, obviously, that created vulnerability in me. The second was that I just was not a good student. And I was a year behind my older sister who excelled at everything. And so I didn't even have my own name. I was known, oh, you're Terry's sister. No, my name is Sherry. 
And please don't expect all the great things that my sister has been gifted with. Mm -hmm. She's got the gift of intelligence. I didn't receive that gift, but I was expected. So I knew I was going to be letting down a lot of teachers. And so that made me kind of pull away from people. And I tried to find my place in high school and I found it in the drama department. Um, That was always intriguing to me. I'd never been in a play before I did a talent show like in middle school, but that was nothing. Mm -hmm. And I thought, gosh, how, how can I make some friends? So that's where I ended up going and I got a a real minor dance part in the musical Oklahoma because I can't dance for the life of me, but all it was just was going in circles. Well, that's where I met in my book. I named him Carl because he doesn't deserve to have a real name in my opinion. So that's where I um, met Carl. Yeah. For first, I'd like to like what type of, um, environment did you grow up in as a child where were your both of your parents at home did you have any history of abuse or anything like that I didn't and that's one thing also and I'm glad you brought that up because I need to shatter those preconceived notions of what why a child is often trafficked I was not abused I came from a two-parent stable home both of my parents were professionals they were just very busy and tired. Um, There were no problems at all. I was not a bad kid. I never ran away. Um, None of that. DCS, the Child Protective Services, nothing. So that's one thing people need to understand too, that a good majority of the children that are trafficked actually know their trafficker. They're not always runaways. And, And I need people to understand that. Yeah. And your, and your parents' professionals were an engineer and an attorney, right? They were very very educated. Um, And then you had a younger sister as well. Right. She had some learning challenges. So she received attention from my parents that way. And I want people to know, I do not blame my parents for anything that happened to me at all. They never knew what was happening. And again, you think back in 1980, Nobody ever knew about this stuff happening. Right. You know, the selling of children. That's that would have been such a foreign concept. Well, even nowadays, you know, when we're looking back, you know, almost 50 years. Right. We know that it exists. But we would never think that it's going to exist in the manner in which you're about to describe how it all started. And and being raised in, you know, in a two person home in um, middle, maybe upper middle class area, right? Like this is where people need to understand this was your life. This was your world. You, you had what you needed and granted, you know, the parents are busy. I mean, if they were busy, then they're even busier now for the most part, you know, with inflation and all of that. So that's why I just wanted to set the, the, backdrop of of that right and i appreciate that because that's an important um it's just important for people to understand so maybe it will wake parents up today that are comfortable in their homes they don't have troubled children but they're still vulnerable yep exactly that that was my whole point in bringing that up is is that you know we need to paint the picture because the picture that's often portrayed is the one that I described at the top of the show. So yeah, 
Mm-hmm. Right. Well, so um, Carl started to befriend me. So going back to the drama department, working on the musical, a requirement for those that were in a musical were to help build the set. So my job was to paint and paint sets. And so he started paying attention to me and I had never had a boyfriend before. I don't have any brothers. So I wasn't sure if this boy who was two years older than me, so he was 17 and I was 15, if he was just being nice or he was flirting, I didn't have any idea. But in my book, I share how Carl befriends me on behalf of his father. Um, And his father is the one that did the grooming and the trafficking, but Carl was a part of it. But Carl never participated in any of the assaults, but he was very much, um, I guess, an enabler, you would call him, of his father. He was afraid of his father. He was afraid. He he was actually a victim in probably many sense, too. Very fearful. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. So I started being invited to these parties that Carl had started building up that his dad had these great parties on the weekend and there was no mom in the home. So Carl's parents were very young when Carl was born and Carl's father could relate to the teenager very well. He, he was very charismatic. He was very inviting. He had a warm personality um, in the beginning. And um, so I would hear about these great parties and the people that Carl hung around with. Carl was very popular. He was a football player. He hung out around the cheerleaders. So that intrigued me too, to want to kind of like migrate towards that group of people because I wanted to be accepted. So um, I started lying to my parents and I attended these parties. Um, I would tell my parents that I was going over to a friend's house who was in walking distance and my parents trusted me. So I started going to these parties and in the beginning there were no problems. It would just be a Friday night and Carl would bring me home, but I would always meet him in the parking lot of the elementary school that was just a few houses down from me. Carl never came to my home. He never met my parents. But at 15, I never thought that was odd. I was more focused on the fact that I felt like I was being accepted by a group that I needed to find. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I needed a group. We, it, it's no child wants to go through school not knowing anybody. And um, so that was a challenge for me. So I found that group. And then, um, Like I said, in the beginning, the parties were fine. There was nothing wrong. Everybody was very friendly. Um, Carl's dad. And so in my book, it's Carl's dad and a group of other men. So it's like these four men that were actually my groomers. And you can see how, well, I can see, and in the book, you'll see how little by little, they start to befriend me. They knew everything about me about my family life, problems I may have with my sisters or my parents, because everything that I was sharing with Carl was being relayed to his dad. Right. Right. So his dad knew about me. And obviously he determined that I was a good candidate for being manipulated, which is exactly what a groomer looks for somebody that can be moldable. And I was, um, So they, Carl's father and the four men portrayed themselves as the brothers I never had. 
I'm like, oh, we will be your protectors. Nobody will mess with you. Um, you're in good hands. And that spoke to me because I always wanted to have a brother and I never had any. And now all of a sudden I had four. That was important to me. And so that's another step that I was trusting these men. Okay, these guys have my back. Nobody in school will mess with me. I've got my group of friends now. Yep. Although they really weren't my friends. I, I was never, you know, all this stuff you can look back and we all do in our life and our, our journey here on earth and go, gosh, what I thought at the time is certainly not what was happening. And that's the same way with my grooming journey. Um, but I would sit back and start watching these odd things that would happen. So the girls that would go to these parties would go to these bedrooms, the bedrooms in Carl's dad's house with these older men. And I didn't really think much about it because that's how my parents spoke to me. If, if there was a problem, they always spoke to me in my bedroom. So I thought, okay, that there, they must be talking. Yes. This shows how naive I was. Right. I must be having a conversation. Nothing odd was happening in the beginning, but as these parties progressed, and then I started telling my parents that I needed to be gone for the whole weekend because I work, was working on a school project with the same friend, I started being picked up Friday evening at the elementary school and being dropped off again um, on Sunday afternoon at the elementary school. And again, the first couple of times that I was there over the weekend, nothing happened. But then I started to notice really weird things. Like they introduced me to wine coolers. That was the extent of alcohol I ever, ever consumed. That was popular then. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, 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 yes. I didn't, they had tried to give me alcohol. I didn't like it. I didn't want it, but a wine cooler I could tolerate. Yeah. So there was one morning um, I woke up and I was in different clothes. My body hurt, but I wasn't really sure what happened to me. Um, and Carl had previously asked me what my favorite ice cream was, which was such a strange question, but I guess to me at the time it didn't, it, I'm like, oh, I like chocolate. So I was on the couch that morning. Carl was laying on the floor next to me. When I woke up, Carl was, you know, he woke up too. And I'm like, well, what happened? What happened to me? I'm in different clothes. Well, he gave me a bowl of chocolate ice cream. I guess that's like his peace offering as a way of saying, I'm really sorry for what happened to you. Yeah. But at that time, I didn't know what had happened to me. I didn't know that I had been raped for the first time. I hurt. Mm -hmm. I was bleeding, but I thought, okay, maybe I'm just starting my cycle because that was new in my life too. I was a late bloomer in that area. So I wasn't sure. And we never really had those conversations as a child mm -hmm. um, with my mom. I don't think that type of stuff was really talked about much in the 80s. It was just- No, okay. no, not at all. Yeah, right, right. Figure it out, Figure it out on your own. Yeah, so we weren't as open with all of that, you know, for the most part. Um, same here, but you know, as I'm sitting here listening to your story, it takes me back to when my parents moved me from Chicago out to the suburbs. And I was so mad that I was leaving all of my friends 
and going to the suburbs, you know, because you're not really from Chicago if you're from the suburbs. And I was a Chicago girl and, you know, and I went to what I call Beverly Hills 90210 on crack. Um, My parents thought that instead of paying for a private education in the city, that they would move out to the suburbs and I would get a public education. But what had happened was there were so many, um, it was an affluent neighborhood. So instead of us, you know, having, you know, pouring out half a two liter of Sprite and throwing some vodka and walking down the alleys with it, they were renting hotel rooms and we were doing cocaine on the furniture. You know, and so and then I'm I'm just thinking of that. And then the adults, because we had to have an adult rent the room mm-hmm. for the hotel. Right. And then thinking uh, also being invited on the boat and being able to go on a boat with older men. And you know what I'm saying, Sherry? I sit back and I look at it and said, was that happening then as I'm hearing you talk? But what happened with me was I got a fake ID and I went back to the city and hung out with my friends. And so I wasn't really hanging out with those people that much anymore. Um, mm-hmm. But maybe, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I just think like, wow, was that a little sex ring with those older men's hang- hanging around with the high school girls? You know, it it very well could have been. Yeah. You know? And of course, a um, a groomer that obviously they start out as grooming and then they traffic you, selling you. Um, They're gonna use any type of substance they can possibly use to control you, Mm -hmm. or they're gonna use blackmail and manipulation to control you. Because I did fight back as far as the wine cooler goes, but um, let me share that the first time that I was aware that I was being raped. I had obviously been given another wine cooler at another night party. And I woke up in the middle of what was happening to me. And I remember trying to move my arms a little bit and I couldn't. So I knew I was restrained in some way, which now I learned I was tied to the bed, but there were men in the room and I was obviously being raped, but I lost consciousness and went back out again. But Little by little, as these parties continued, they would attempt to continue to drug me with whatever they put in the wine cooler until I saw one time I had walked into the kitchen and I saw Carl's dad putting something in my drink and I refused it. I said, I don't want this. I don't want this. But all of the men held me down and poured this down my throat. So I'm sitting there gagging and I'm like, no, 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 you know, don't do this to me. So I then I started to willingly take the drink because I didn't want to be drowned with having this stuff crammed down my throat. Right. Um, So, so after that, the first time that you woke in and out of, of sleep about how long were you hanging out with them prior to you having that recollection? Three months. So a while. So you had developed a friendship. You were cool at school. You you knew people, people. I mean, so, yeah, like when you were at school, your your school life was pretty good because you were hanging out with the popular kids on the weekends. Right. Yes and No, it was very interesting because at school, our 
the way the school was set up is the grades were on different levels. So I really didn't interact with those other kids because they were all older than me at school, other than during lunchtime. But I, there was still, again, how I talk about how God protected me. There was still this little voice inside of me that just told me really not to hang out with them during school. And I chose not to, I had, I'd had established a little tiny group of friends, not much, but, um, and I would hang around with Carl. Sometimes we would just walk together, um, out in the lawn in front of our school and hang out that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, but no, I didn't really hang out with them other than at the parties. And it, it wasn't more, it wasn't really because the kids that were there, I was there because I truly thought Carl was my boyfriend. Gotcha. But the only thing that he ever did was, give me kids. I thought Carl was my boyfriend okay. because he was kind to me. He would hold my hand. He would give me a kiss. That's the extent of anything with Carl physical. I thought he was my boyfriend, gotcha. but he wasn't my boyfriend, Yeah, but I didn't know. I didn't know. Um, and so that's again, how our young kids are tricked by, especially now online with presented with fake profiles of people like, Oh, okay. So this is an image of a really attractive guy that's reaching out to girls, but really it might be some 60 year old man trying to meet that girl. Um, Yeah. I mean, everybody, everybody wants to feel loved. Everybody wants attention. And, and when you're getting that positive attention and you're told, you know, all the things that you want to hear, that's why dating apps are so popular because even though you may not meet them, right. And nothing may, nothing may even happen from that. You're still it's an addiction to go on there when you get a message and have somebody to talk to throughout the day, you know? So I understand that even young and older, we all want that. And, and that makes, yeah, I can, I can definitely see that, you know? So you're hanging out with them for three months. You're building mm-hmm. these relationships and trusting. Um, and trusting them. They were good to you. They were, they were amazing. Even though these things were happening, they were still being nice to you at that point. Correct. Until the expectations came and that was, so at three months, that was the first time that I was aware of being raped. Um, that was the time I woke up in a little bit, but then the expectations came and they switched from nice guys to now this is what you are going to do or else. So every time I was raped, I the whole act was being videotaped. They had those big video machines back then. Everything was being videotaped. So that was blackmail to make me comply. And they would mm-hmm. tell me that if you don't continue to do what we want you to do, we're going to show these videos to your parents to their employers and it will be your fault that your parents get fired and you're going to be homeless and it'll be your fault. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Well, we'll pick up on that. Um, when we come back from break, um, guys, you guys, you're listening to nurses out loud. I'm your host nurse, Jody O'Malley, and I'm here every Friday with you. We also have a different nurse host daily with a new format coming on Mondays now we are hosting nurse Q&As. 
So make sure that you are sending in your comments, your questions to nurses at americaoutloud.com. And we will be answering those uh, with one, two, three, even a guest, excuse me, even a guest host nurse uh, on Monday. So if you want to be a guest co-host nurse, uh, make sure that you're sending an email to nurses at America out loud and make sure also too, that you are checking out our nurses out loud sponsor, ASEA. If you go to America shop, you will get exclusive discounts on the ASEA products found nowhere else. And one of my favorite products that I talk about all the time because of the immediate chain of immediate results is the SIA redox gel. I had my son this past weekend put on some new deodorant. And when we were leaving the house, he said that his arms burned, you know, is under his arms burned. And I said, well, let's put the SIA on. And he did. And we left the house and, you know, cause I'm a, I'm a nurse mom, right? We, we don't really, <laughs> we're not as compassionate to our own as we are to others. So I said, well, let's just put it on. Cause we got to go. And when he was in the car 10 minutes, he's like, the burning's gone. And so guys, this is just an amazing product for irritations for muscle pains and aches. And so check it out, americaoutloud.shop, ASEA Redox Gel, and we'll be right back. It's time in this Nurses Out Loud Talk Radio want to introduce you to ASEA Redox Cell Signaling Molecules. It is more than just a wonderful natural product. Redox molecules are native to the human body. Redox molecules enable your body to turn on its inner doctor so your body can heal itself the way it did naturally when you were young. Check out americaoutloud.shop. Look for ASEA Cell Signaling Molecules Liquid Supplement and check out Nurse Michelle's recent favorite ASEA product, Renew 28 Revitalizing Redox Gel, because this gel helped get me through some significant muscular pain during my healing process following a recent canoeing accident when I broke my hip. Give it a try for your aches and pains and let Nurses Out Loud hear how your health has improved. The Natural Colon Cleanse. It's the ultimate digestive tune-up with oxy powder. It's crafted to alleviate the discomfort of gas, bloating, and occasional constipation. There's a reason why Oxy Powder is our number one seller. It worked. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-term effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. Fortunately, Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the wellness company designed their spike support formula with the miracle enzyme natokinase, scientifically studied to dissolve spike protein so you can feel your very best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. 
Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, and sleep deep. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code out loud. We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought. AmericaOutloud.news, delivering a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. Join us in the fight for liberty and justice for all. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Welcome back. You are joining me and Sherry Lopez, who is the founder, who is the founder of what's the website, Sherry? I don't want to say it wrong. Here's the book, Pearl yep. at the Mailbox, and it's pearlatthemailbox.org. Pearlatthemailbox.org. And you can get her book, which is a really fast read, guys. I, I highly encourage that you read it and then have a discussion with your children as well. Uh, we, we talked about the first half on how Sherry was initially groomed, and now we are picking up after um, she had been attacked and what happened after that. Okay. So as I had said before the break, everything that was happening to me was videotaped. So that was blackmail to make me comply. And then from there, it's just more things you need to, we have these expectations. You need to do this. You need to do that. And so I complied. I didn't feel I had any other option if I tried to tell my parents what was happening to me, because there was no official name, like there is now trafficking, yeah. I would have been blamed for everything. And, and I couldn't bear that. I, I just, this just not something that I could do. And at that point, I just, I was just really struggling with life. Yeah. You know, my joy was being taken away. I, um, gosh, it, it's hard to describe sometimes how low you can feel. So I would go to school during the week, try to squeak out good grades, and then I would be trafficked on, trafficked on the weekends and during the summer break. Mm -hmm. Now, when it was summertime, my parents told me I had to get a job. So one year I worked as a hostess at Denny's, and then another year I worked at an ice cream store. But Carl and his father always knew my schedule. I don't know how they knew that. I never shared that with them because I would continuously try to push back on them as a way to get this to stop. But the messages would be sent to me, you better keep doing what we expect. So there was one time my parents' cars were egged at our home. And, you know, if you get egg on paint, it's very, it's pretty much like damaged your car. And then um, my parents' cars were slashed, their tires were slashed at work. Uh, 
And then there was one time the dog that I just loved was let loose from our locked backyard. So that means that Carl or whoever else had to climb over our fence, break the lock and let the dog yep. out. Yeah. Thankfully, we did find the dog and, and and that was okay. But those are just examples of how I would try to push back and the messages that I understood were being directed at me. You better comply or this, this, and this will happen to you. How was your relationship with Carl at school after this? I didn't like him. Yeah. I, I didn't like him. I didn't trust him. But there was a conflict, you know, because I'm sitting here as a young person trying to figure out what's happening to me. Again, there's no definition for what was happening to me. I knew people were hurting me. It got to the point where I never drank or did drugs anymore. Um, I learned to just detach from my body as my coping mechanism. Yeah. Um, So I knew things would be happening to my body, but I would be somewhere else in my mind. Um, So there was still hope that somehow Carl would stop this inside of me. I thought maybe, Carl, you brought me into this. You could stop this. Yeah. I was just looking for anybody to help me at that point. But I I felt very alone Mm -hmm. and I needed to comply. And then when I turned 18, um, my birthday's in March. High school graduation was in May of that year. Um, my parents said, Hey, um, well, my, basically my mom who at that time had had an injury and start, and she got hooked on, um, pain medication. Yeah. And so she changed too, just as who she was, she changed too. And, um, my mom asked me on my 18th birthday, are you going to go to college? And I said, no, again, I tell everybody, had I really thought about it, going to college might've been a way out for me if I had gone to another state or something, but I didn't, I was barely getting through school. So how was I going to go to college? That was my mindset. So my mom said, okay, then you're an adult. Now you need to move out. And I think, okay, great. May I have a couple of months. I can figure this out on my own. No, my mom said that weekend. And so that just created a big cycle of my true downfall in the world of trafficking. I reached out to many friends. Nobody would let me stay with them. So where'd I go? I ended up at Carl's house staying there. And so those last two couple months of high school were, were, were really bad. Um, Yeah. I, you know, I'd like to just touch on that real quick because there's a couple of things. One, you didn't, we didn't have cell phones in the eighties, no beepers or anything like that. So when you were leaving the house and saying that you were spending the night and then became the weekends with your friend, did they not call to check on you? Did they not know the parents of the home that you were staying in? No, they did. In fact, she was a really good friend of mine in middle school or, or junior high. And my parents knew them and uh, her and her parents very well. So they had no reason not to trust what I was telling them. So they would never call you over at her house and check on you. So I think, guys, that's a big that's a that's kind of a big um, 
thing that we can do as parents and and making sure that we are staying in contact. So many people have the tracking on their child's phone and they think that, oh, they're okay because I see where they're they're at. They're at their friend's house like they said they were, but probably very important to have uh, a conversation with your child, you know, especially, I mean, it sounds like this was happening a lot. And with your parents being busy, they thought, oh, Sherry's hanging out with her second family on the weekend. You know, we're busy. So let her go do her thing and be around her friends. That's what I would think. Absolutely. And not only just calling your your kids now, but I think it's important that you create some type of a code word that if your child is in an uncomfortable situation and you're talking on the phone, it's like, hey, mom, I want pizza tonight. Oh, that phrase or that word of pizza is like, can you just come get me? Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. you know, I I think that's really, really important because just because you have a tracker on your child's phone doesn't mean one that they're always at that place. They could have left their phone somewhere else Yeah. or two, they are at that location, but they're in a very compromised position and they can't ask for help. Yeah. Well, I also like to talk to my son and do FaceTime and say, I need to see your face and see who you're with. See if you're really at the location, you know, you wanted an iPhone and that's the benefit of it. So we're using it. (laughs) And I think it's good. Hey, you, you pay for that. Most parents pay for the phone out of, Mm -hmm. you know, on behalf of their child and, and that phone is your property. And I know it drives teenagers crazy. Like stop checking on me. Don't you trust me? And it's like, it's not that I don't trust you. There's a lot of evil people in the world, and that's what I'm protecting you from. Yeah. You know, and I'm going to bug you. I'm just going to bug you until I feel that you're mature enough to spot the signs of danger. Not an insult to the child, but more of like a team effort. I'm your mother, and we need to do this together. Mm-hmm. That I, you know, we need to work. We want you to have a good life. So we have to protect you together. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And going to the home of the, the, where your, where your child is making sure that, you know, the parents and you see the environment in the home and yeah, I, I just, you know, that, yeah, yeah. This is awakening for me too, because I've realized how much me being in this movement, um, has really distracted, you know, um, from my youngest son, you know, having the faith and being like, yeah, you can go to his house. I've met his mom. You know, I, I didn't know that there was three other different people living there until I went and picked him up, uh, this weekend. And I'm, and after reading your book, it just made me be like, dang, Jody, like, you know, you got to be more present and, and realize because the people that were living there, it's, I didn't understand the whole situation. And so I, I kept asking questions. And then I knew if I had to keep asking questions, I don't feel comfortable with it anymore. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. I know what you mean. I know yeah. what you mean. Being a parent is being a parent, not being your child's friend. Right. You have a responsibility when you bring that child into the world to parent them and protect them, not be their friend. You can be their friend when they get older and they're more mature and can decipher for themselves what's good and what's bad. But um, great job on doing that. Um, 
Yeah. Well, I mean, Sherry, it was because of meeting you, you know, the week before, because this just happened. So meeting you, hearing your story, um, and I want to finish it up so people can hear the rest of it. Uh, but it, it just, it made such an impact. There was a reason. There's always a reason for everything. And hearing your story and then seeing that just made me be like, maybe I stopped something before it could happen. Who knows? Do you know what I'm saying? But there's a reason. And that's why I think it's so powerful that I share what happened with me. You know, somebody who is quote unquote, really awake. (laughs) You know what I mean? Right, right. And people need to understand that boys are trafficked too. It's not just girls. Boys are trafficked too. Um, Boys are trafficked at a, a younger age. Sadly, now it's around five or six years old. Boys are trafficked. Um, and but girls are trafficked longer, mm-hmm. but boys are still trafficked. So parents should never have that false sense of security that oh I've got a boy, so I don't need to worry about this. That's yeah. not true. You you still need to be aware. Yeah. So doing what you're doing. So yeah. So thank you. So you are um, now you're graduated from high school. You have no place to go. Your parents say you you have to figure it out quickly, and and then what? And I did. So I ended up at um, like I said, Carl's house where his dad was, and then the, I did graduate high school, which was a big accomplishment for me because I didn't think I, I would. I had started to give up on life. And then after a while, as sad as this is to say, every traffic child has a shelf life. You go to the grocery store, you look at the expiration date on the bottom, I don't know, a box of rice or something. Every child has a shelf life too. So once a traffic child has serviced, if you will, every buyer that that trafficker has that child has no monetary value anymore. So three things are going to happen. That child's going to be released to figure out a life on their own. And then they usually do become homeless or get addicted to drugs. They get killed or they're sold to another trap. So when a trafficker has basically used up the monetary value of that child because they've gone through all of the buyers. There's usually three things that will happen to the child. One, they're going to be released on the streets, become homeless, probably become a drug addict. Two, they're going to get killed. Or three, they're going to be sold to other traffickers. And that's what happened to me. So up until the age of 21, where I was rescued, I was sold to three additional traffickers. So I had four traffickers in my whole journey. And one was a woman, because I get that question all the time. Where are the women in all of this? One did traffic me as well. So the last place that I was at was in Arizona. And I was being trafficked in a different way. This is where flown to very influential people's homes, kind of like eye candy for events. So there were people of wealth that are very involved in this world of trafficking. But I um, earned the privilege of picking up the mail. And who thinks of that as being a privilege? Everybody just goes to pick up their mail. Well, I earned that privilege from my traffic or my last trafficker. And so when I would go to the mailbox, I started seeing this little tiny woman. You know, she was my angel from God, no doubt. 
So she would just talk to me. She introduced herself as Pearl. And I was a very mean, nasty person then. I had given up. This was my life. I'm going to die this way. I was starting to have dreams. I'm going to die if I don't get out, even though I should have already been dead many times, as I shared in the beginning. So there was one day that we, we call them beatings, but they weren't like the beatings that you imagine because they don't want the merchandise damaged. They don't want your body damaged. So we would be submerged in either water to where we would pass out from almost drowning, really hot showers, really cold showers, the Russian roulette with the gun to the head, many different things, clothespins. Nobody thinks how painful having clothespins like on your lips are, it hurts. Um, so I'd had a really bad beating and because somebody wasn't happy with my service. And so I was like, gosh, you know, I'm done. I'm, I'm just, I'm a walking dead person. I'm just a walking dead person. Well, Pearl was at the mailbox. And again, I had seen Pearl for a couple of months at the mailbox. She obviously was a nosy neighbor that we all need to be nosy neighbors. Um, and she saw me there and she said, honey, are you ready to go? And I looked at her and I said, I was ready to go. I, I walked away. And she I had no idea. She, you, you guys had never talked about you being held against your will or anything like that. Not at all. Not at all. She paid attention. She knew things were wrong. God gives us this little voice inside of us to warn us about things or to pay attention to things. And over the years we've taught ourselves not to listen to that. Yep. We don't want to get involved with things. Absolutely. And, um, no, you do. And that's what she was doing. She was listening to the voice of God telling her to intervene in some way. Yeah. And and right at the right time that you needed it and you were willing. So Sherry, we only have a few minutes left and I have so many more questions for you, <laughs> but how like what makes someone stay? I always think about when I'm at the airport and I see signs that say, if you're being trafficked, call this number, go to the nearest police officer, whatever. Like uh, what prevents, what prevented you from doing that? Because every aspect of your life is controlled. When you eat, how much you eat, if you get water, Every aspect of a trafficked child's life is controlled. And then the fear of the pain that you receive if you don't comply. So it's all fear-based um, manipulation. And nowadays, trafficked children are taught to believe that the police are your enemy, you're mm -hmm. going to go to jail, and that you can't trust people. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's even worse now than it was when it happened to me, but thankfully there are places and resources now to help them. Mm -hmm. On average, it takes three to four times for a, a trafficked person to walk away, go back to their trafficker and then finally stay away. Wow. Um, it's, it's hard. It's not easy when you, and then just, going through all of the pain of trying to heal. And like, for me, it was trying to bring my brain back to my body and my mind. 
it was hard. Yeah. Right. So, because like you said that you're, you, you separate from your flesh and you, and you begin to interact with the word world, um, just w- without you really even being present in absolutely. mind. Yeah. So I think that's a big one. Uh, uh, Sherry, what, um, what all the resources are at pearl at the mailbox.org. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And- please. Please visit there. Yes. Um, and then I want to ask you one final question. So when I brought, told my oldest son about your story, he works at a cigar bar um, in the middle of um, a very busy entertainment district. And he sees, you know, top dollar, low dollar prostitutes come in on a regular. And I was having a conversation with him about it. And I said, listen, you know, do you feel that the prostitutes that we see, you know, that, that start to have their own business, let's say, and they're, they're selling their body. Well, let's just say women that sell their body for money, right. In exchange for sex. Do you feel like they were groomed at a young age? Do you have any opinion on that? I don't think there's any correlation whatsoever. I think some girls now see it as I am woman. Let me manipulate these men. I'll use my body to take their money and I'm in control of it. Um, I don't think necessarily when you're talking somebody who walks on the street, they're probably coming from some life of an abuse. When you're talking somebody who's working at an escort, most likely they're choosing to do that because they're working with high dollar clients, just like sugar babies. You know, they, they seek out men who have a lot of money so that they can pay for their college education, their house or apartment or car. And the girl exchanges that for sex. So mm-hmm. it's not, some of it is by choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, you know, growing up, we're roughly around the same age. It, it's the same. It, you know, we were taught like, oh, you're woman, woman. We don't need a man, you know. And I think so many women now in their twenties and thirties are looking and and forties and fifties that they're saying, no, I want a man. Where are the men? I want <laughs> someone to take care of me. You know, I want somebody that I respect that can lead my home. Um, right. but, but you, you are good, Sherry. Um, you know, it looks like you have a beautiful home that you're in and how, how, you know, Pearl, we have one minute left. Tell us a little bit about Pearl and, and what that was like. Pearl was a very tiny woman, but boy, was she mighty. She has gone home to be with the Lord. She ended up getting Alzheimer's and eventually didn't realize or recognize who I was. So, um, She was fearless and she was willing to step out and put herself in a position to intervene if necessary. We are not that way anymore. We don't, I I don't know how many people that are watching this even know who their neighbors are. I've been guilty of that. Who are my neighbors? We don't have a sense of community in our country anymore. Um, So I encourage everybody to think about being a pearl, pay attention to what's around you. Um, If you feel like there's something wrong, involve the police or a security officer or something. It doesn't mean you have to go and take the child away Mm -hmm. um, and intervene that way. But Pearl was sent by God and an amazing woman. 
Yeah. And she's my life. She did. And I, yes. And I, and I really appreciate you being a testimony and a witness. I, I think there, there's so many times that people go through hard times and they say that there's not God, but you can look back and see how he is always with us and just wants to draw nearer to us and, you know, and so all the brutality and the demonic forces that we see out in full of force these days, with the war in Israel and how, you know, those terrorists came in and what's going back and forth and the grooming and, and the child mutilation, you know, I mean, just wild things that we never thought would happen. They're here guys. And, and they're, they're among you and, you know, and we have to be brave. We have to be courageous. We have got to shine our light in the darkness. I don't know how many times, that I have to say this, um, but I really want people to realize that when you shine your light and you expose it on evil, evil shudders, you know, you have more power shining your light than you do trying to hide in the corner, hoping evil is not going to come for you because mm-hmm. they're out there. Um, and you know, they, they want to attack you. Remember how this all ends. Satan knows it's time is short. And that's why we're seeing evil ramp up here because he knows how this all ends. And that's with Yeshua returning and, and, uh, the war of good versus evil. I mean, we see the prophetic nature of the Bible Bible happening all the time, but that's all the time that we have for today. Friends, like I said, please join us here Monday through Friday with a different nurse host daily. And on Mondays, we're going to have our nurse Q and A. So make sure you're tuning in for that. Send us your emails, uh, nurses at americaoutloud.com and like, share, review these shows because it bumps us up in the feed. We know that many of you watching are watching uh, and we just want to hear from you more and make your presence known that you do like Nurses Out Loud and America Out Loud um, dot news with 24 seven coverage. You can download the America Out Loud talk radio app. But we are five nurses brought together, bound by ethical principles and on a mission to protect the heart, mind and soul of humanity. The last three years have changed us in many ways and evil ran rampant, but it has been exposed. We want to empower and encourage you to do the same. We are in a war for truth and we're putting out a bounty on the real misinformation and exposing the purveyors of propaganda. No topic is off limits as we continue to shine our light into the darkness. God bless. It's time